Hey everyone, Sean Engel here of the Just One of the Guys podcast, the podcast you're getting ready to listen to. I just wanted to mention before the show starts that there's going to be some interesting changes going on with the Just One of the Guys show. As some of you may know, I'm affiliated with the uh, Two True Freaks podcast, as well as the Debonza Corps group of Milan, Italy, and it seems as of recent, the Debonza Corps company is expanding its empire and giving twotruefreaks.libson.com a facelift and changing the site to just twotruefreaks.com. Well, because of that, the Monza Corps has also decided to add me along to the Two True Freaks website as well. So here in a couple of weeks, I will be moving over to Two True Freaks proper. You'll be able to find the show at twotruefreaks.com. Now, those of you who are subscribing through iTunes should be able to get regular service continued. We're working out all the details right now. But probably here at the end of the month, uh, starting in uh, June, you will be able to find episodes of just one of the guys over at twotruefreaks.com. So, look forward to it. And now, on with the show. I've got my comics out, got my notes ready. Ugh. No, I'm glad. I appreciate you doing this. I'm not keeping you up too late, am I? Do you have anything you have to do tomorrow morning? Or? No. Um, we're going to... We're looking at a, a bedroom set for the boys tomorrow morning. That's at 10 o'clock. I'm, I'll be fine. You're listening to Just One of the Guys. The show that doesn't recommend you store your Swedish rock band in wooden crates. Troy Green. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. This, again, is an internet radio show dedicated to bringing you coverage of the Green Lantern comics from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004, with a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, my favorite Green Lanterns, of one of whom is not a Green Lantern. I keep mentioning that every show, and I need to come up with something a bit more original, but I'm too lazy to. Sorry. Uh, today we've got uh, a bevy of issues. Again, we're going to be doing the Way of the Warrior storyline, covering parts four, five, and six of it, starting in issue. Uh, let me get that here. Issue thirty-three of Guy Gardner Warrior, issue one hundred and two of Justice League America, and issue twenty-three of Hawkman. Uh, of course, as always, we're going to be covering the Green Lantern issue, which is the second part of the awesome meeting between Hal Jordan, Parallax, and Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern. In Parallax View Point Two, or not Point Two, Parallax View Episode Two, or Issue Seven Two. Uh, maybe I should script this stuff out anyway. But uh, of course, because this is a episode where Hawkman is going to be featured prominently in the second part of the story, I've got my very good friend, host of Earth Destruction Directive, host of the uh, website Bean Carter Hall and El Chacon's Comic Bunker. Also host of, of the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, my very good friend, Mr. Luke Jackanetti. Hey, Luke, thanks for coming back. Well, thank you for having me back, Sean. And I know everyone at home is thinking, this guy again? 
But bear with us, okay? <laughs> no, Luke, I'm really glad to have you on, uh, especially covering the Hawkman books. So, because, uh, like I said, I wasn't really reading the Hawkman books, and you gave me a really good synopsis last week about you know what was going on in the whole Hawkman world, and uh, now I'm really actually pretty interested. So, uh, any time that a person can get me interested in collecting more comics, my wife is going to be completely enraged. So. I'm, a, I'm just returning the favor because you got me interested in learning about Guy Gardner. Okay, so. well, uh, good. Uh, it's it's uh, our own mutually assured destruction in our own lives. But uh, with all of that out of the way, I'm going to go ahead and do what I normally do here, and we'll take a quick break, uh, plug in a couple of promos here, and once we get back, we'll start our coverage of Parallax View Part 2 of 2 in Green Lantern number 64. <laughs> Mr. Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? We violate the treaty, Captain. Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? <laughs> Humans make illogical decisions. every episode of the classic original TV series in randomly selected order on the second Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. The Bronze Age of Comics, an era largely ignored as far as Superman goes, and an era that some consider to still be part of the Silver Age. Sure, a lot of people know about the Kryptonite Nevermore storyline, where all the kryptonite on Earth is turned to iron and Clark Kent goes from a newspaper reporter to a TV reporter. Then there are the Alan Moore stories for the man who has everything and whatever happens to the man of tomorrow. But in an era that lasted 15 years, surely there's more to the Bronze Age than that, right? Well, my name is Charlie Niemeyer, and every other week, 
I shine the spotlight on this long-overlooked era of Superman in the Bronze Age. Featuring such stories as the return of Jonathan Kent, two meetings with the Amazing Spider-Man, the Phantom Zone miniseries, the enlarging of Krypton, and more. Plus, J. David Weider also joins in to take a look at Superboy's Bronze Age adventures. So join in the fun at www.supermanandthebronzeage.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we're back. So let's go ahead and get right on into the coverage of issue number 64 of Green Lantern. It was cover dated July 1995, released on May 16, 1985. It had a cover of $1.75 US, two fifty Canada, and a pound twenty-five UK. Title was, of course, Parallax View. The Resurrection of Hal Jordan, Part Two, which sounds like a it sounds like a bad movie title. It's Stallone or Schwarzenegger to be talking, but whatever. <laughs> Writer was Ron Mars. Pencilers this time out were Daryl uh, Banks and Mark Bright. Awesome. Inkers were Romeo Tangal and Mike DiCarlo. Letterer was Albert Guzman. Colorist Steve Matson. Assistant editor Eddie Braganza and editor Kevin Dooley. Picking off where we left off from last issue. Ganthan and his collected former members of the Justice League stand ready to stop Hal Jordan from taking the ring from current Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner. All he tells Hal to give up as he fires an arrow at his former friend's head, but Hal catches the arrow mid-flight, snapping it and warning the assembled heroes to not to try and stop it. Of course, Kyle, who was never in the League, fails to listen and socks Hal in the jaw with a ring construct uppercut. Kyle asks the heroes if they're going to lend a hand, and the fighty McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights reserved, breaks out as the heroes speed towards a former teammate. Kyle takes down the Martian Manhunter by wrapping in ring construct chains, and stop, stops Aquaman's attack by encasing him in a construct fishing net. John breaks free of the chains and lays an invisible smackdown on Hal, with Hawkman bashing him in his head with his mace. Hal returns the favor and sends Katara sailing while burning John with emerald flame. Seeing that things are going badly, Ganthet pops off to try and get one more person to help. Only in the Flash make attempts to stop him, but are also foiled by the former Lantern. Finally, it's back to Kyle and Hal for the battle for the ring, but in the end, Kyle is victorious, or Hal is victorious. That would have been a book. Standing over the youthful lantern, Hal again tries to take the ring off Kyle's finger and reclaim his role as Green Lantern. Unfortunately for him, someone isn't so keen with him being the bearer of the last of the Green Lantern rings. And that someone is... Superman. With Ganthet by his side, the Man of Steel tells Hal that they need to talk. But Hal feels that the t- that time has passed and the two engage in an epic battle. The two combatants fight mightily, with Hal still towing the line that he'll make everything right. Superman gains the upper hand by getting Hal a chokehold, but Hal sets off a ring construct bomb, knocking the last son of Krypton out and ending the battle. With the fallen heroes at his feet, Ganthet once again asks Hal if this is truly what he wanted. The last guardian says that Hal was the best of the Corps, but he's forever changed, and now the power cannot be his. Hal retorts that Ganthet doesn't get to make the rules anymore. And despite not having any power battery anymore, he will draw the power from Ganthet himself. But Hal is stopped from draining the diminutive demigod by a lead pipe to the back of his head by a powerless Kyle Rayner. Hal says that there is no way that Kyle can defeat him, and Kyle replies that it doesn't matter. He's the last one standing, and he's going to do what a hero should do. 
Resolved, Al gives the ring back to Kyle and says that he'll find a way to go on, to be something else. Hal looks to Ganthet for answers, and gets one in the form of Ganthet merging with Hal, causing him to achieve peace and leave for parts unknown. Crisis averted, the rest of the heroes gather around to stun Kyle, asking what went on. Kyle says that Hal headed off to parts unknown after the merger, and wonders if he's truly worthy of being Green Lantern. But Superman has no such worries, as Kyle places the ring on his finger, and the Man of Steel proclaims that now, more than ever, Kyle is Green Lantern. Cut to an idyllic city where a young boy sits on a curb bemoaning the loss of his dog. But out of the blue, Skipper returns, brought back to the joyful youth by none other than Green Lantern Hal Jordan. The boy thanks Green Lantern for protecting Co City, and the hero replies, That's what I'm here for. The scene then pulls back as we see a stunned parallax sitting on an alien world, the heroics, only part of his dreams. There we go. Uh, the ending, hopefully the, well, I'm certain not the final ending between uh, Kyle Rayner and Hal Jordan, but uh, one that essentially takes Hal out of the uh, the book for a while and basically cements Kyle as the one true Green Lantern. So what do you think about this one, Luke? I, I like this one. I, again, first off, we do get quite a lot of action with the kind of faux Justice League fighting Parallax. Uh, but also, I think I think in a way, this is Mars addressing the Heat crowd a little oh, bit. Oh yeah, I definitely saw that. Uh, I think he, I think Mars is going. Look, guys, we understand you want Hal back, but Hal is not coming back. Accept Kyle for what he is. You've got Superman saying that Kyle is Green Lantern, so deal with it. And it, but it's and you know, but it's almost like um, throwing him a bone at the same time because after zero hour where Hal was just unhinged and then the zero issue where Hal was kind of full on megalomaniacal here, he's presented more reasonably and, and Hal comes to the conclusion that I'm not, I'm not in a place where I can do this. So it's almost like Mars saying, look, we don't hate Hal Jordan. We're telling a different story right now, guys, just stick with us right now. We think that you'll like this new Kyle guy if you give him a chance. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one of the things. Uh, a lot of people give Ron Mars a lot of grief for destroying the character of Hal Jordan. And really, he did not. Uh, he respected the character of Hal Jordan. And in the end, Hal does come around and realize that this is not how it's going to work out. I'm not the kind, I'm not the same person that I was, and I can't take this mantle on anymore. And it's time for me to go do something else. Now, what else happened to him and the progression of the DC timeline, you know, uh, we'll see, you know, him become, eventually become the specter or spoiler, and then eventually come back. But I do agree. This is, uh, this is Barr saying, look, try and give this new guy a chance. It's going to be a good story, and it's going to be a good run. Yeah. Um, just real quick on, on the cover. Okay, that is Connor Hawk on the cover. Yes. Look at look at his build. He doesn't even have the beard. That is Connor Hawk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, the, I don't know why it's Ollie in the book. The yeah. I, I, I don't know whether it was just uh, they needed you know Ollie for the book, 
because they needed that connection with the uh, Green Lantern and Green Arrow. But yeah, that is definitely Connor on the on the cover here. So, and plus, there's never a scene in here where Hal is mournful about beating up Kyle and cradling Kyle's body. But it's not the first time that you've seen a cover that depicts something that doesn't even in any way, shape, or form go on in the book. But yeah. Um, uh, the, the double page spread, page two and three, is uh, very nice. I mean, again, you, that, if you're going to have a story about Parallax fighting this faux Justice League, that's the way to start it. You know, everyone just gets surrounding uh, Hal like that. Well, and it's also uh, it's also a it's the the way the last issue ended. This was sort of uh, the same sort of setup, except this time, instead of them all being bunched up on one panel standing behind Hal or Parallax, they're all sort of surrounding him in on this two page. And I think it's because they've got the two page splash here that they can spread out the characters and have them surround him. Yeah. And I love all the 90s costumes here. Um, you know, we've got the the 90 the 90s style Hawkman, the 90s style Green Arrow, um, obviously Kyle, uh, Aquaman. Martian Manhunter's costume never changed all that much. No. I'm, I'm sure Diabolu Frank is screaming at me right now that I'm. <laughs> uh, and and even Wally, because Wally's costume was a little bit different than Barry's, especially at this point, because it was actually created from the Speed Force. So it's slightly different. But just seeing all these 90s, I mean, again, you're reading DC Comics in 1995. You tell me that you look at this, you're not like, oh man, I'm reading this, you know? Mm hmm. So, that, that's neat. Although, again, why is Ollie dressed as <laughs> I just can't get over this. It's so Again, weird. yes. It, it, yeah. I don't know whether it was just, uh, you know, Mars wanted to bring Ollie in there for whatever reason. And he didn't realize that Ollie is either inactive or dead, but yeah, this is the Connor Hawk look yeah. bar none. Uh, page six here as my, is my next note. Um, I I love how take just taking out everybody here. It kind of in he blasts Hawkman without even looking at him. He puts up the the wall that Wally runs headlong into, and his great line of "oof," that looks like it hurt right mm -hmm. there. Um, and then the the ring construct chains around uh, John Jones, and then I, I love the chains. It's just a great look because it always rem it reminds me of all the kind of iconic images of Superman wrapped in chains. Mm -hmm. He's breaking out of them. Because I always kind of uh, put the the Manhunter and and Superman together. Although my, couldn't I, I this this is more of just a theoretical question. Could the Martian Manhunter phase through a Green Lantern construct? You know, I think that he probably could have. But you know, it's it's at this point in time that he's in the middle of battle that he might not be actively thinking about doing that. And maybe one of those things that he has to you know, focus on doing, and he can't just do it spur of the moment, you know, how they have caught him off guard, you know, yeah. given time, he could have, uh, phased out of it. But yeah, I, I think for, you know, purposes of the actual fight or the actual panel, it works for him being chained up and not being able to phase out of it at the time. Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not complaining. I was just I'm curious because, because I mean, it's, it's energy, even though it's solid, it's like, can you phase through energy? You know, because the idea of phasing is always that you can phase through matter, not energy. You know, that could be, you know, that's a that's a good enough no prize. I'll give you that. I mean, I, I've got another one. I mean, how come uh, Aquaman, how come he can uh, Aquaman can cut through the net with his golden harpoon? <laughs> Isn't well, it <laughs> that was one of the things that just irked me or felt like kind of 
it felt kind of cheesy that Hal, or kind of a dick move on Hal's part. You know, oh hey Aquaman, I'm gonna catch you in a fishing net. Ha 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 ha! I'm clever. No, that was. Yeah, he didn't put Hawkman in a birdcage or something. <laughs> that would have been awesome, though. There's an old Silver Age cover with Hawkman and Hawkgirl trapped in a birdcage, a giant birdcage uh, like that. I I think I actually remember seeing that. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but I do love, I mean, I love this fight, this just going back and forth. And, and Parallax, I mean, he outpowers everybody here, even the Manhunter. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a losing fight for the Justice League, but uh, I like them using tactics and not just attacking them. Like uh, on page eight here, where uh, the Manhunter slugs him while he's invisible, and then um, uh, Qatar slams him with the the mace in the back of the head. Oh yeah, that's gonna hurt. Yeah, but then but then I like Hal's response of creating um, uh, like a, another type, a different type. Um, Hawkman uses a morning star typically, and he, uh, Hal creates just a regular mace to smack him back with, which mm-hmm. I love a lot. And again, another great line of dialogue of Gah! <laughs> good. <laughs> <laughs> and Scott Gardner's got to, not going to listen to it, even if we mention him and do do his little his yeah. little voice ticks. Girl, neutralize. <laughs> and I and. Uh, <laughs> The other thing that's interesting with this, and again, I'm, it's a Hawkman thing. Uh, Hal says, that's you in there somewhere, isn't it, Carter? The real you. And th- and again, this is this is reference to some of the changes that took place because of Crisis. Um, because while the alien uh, Qatar Hall was in the Justice League of America um, as the stories were published, after Crisis, of course, Carter Hall, the Golden Age Hawkman, became the Hawkman that appears in all those stories. So Hal Jordan, as a member of the Justice League of America, would be, you know, very familiar with Carter Hall, you know, reincarnated Egyptian prince slash archaeologist uh, Hawkman. He would not really know the alien Katar Hall very well at all. Hmm. So when he Makes when sense. he Parallax is able to look into him and know that Carter Hall's uh, spirit is in this merged Hawkman. I think that was a nice that's kind of subtle. Because if you're not looking for it, you don't even really, you might not even notice that. But as a Hawkman reader, I picked up, you know, that's something I picked up on. I, I thought that was neat. Because, again, they, they would have a relationship. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and it also kind of ties back, that's what Ganthet said in the previous issue. There was, there's aspects of you that are familiar, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's what he was doing. He's trying not only get people, heroes that could uh, effectively take down Parallax or Hal or whatever you want to call him, but also people that could... Uh, work on his psyche as well work on him emotionally and try and uh, take him down that way as well yeah yep and then on page nine you know uh, the powerhouses have all had their chances and failed so ollie's technique is to just whack him in the head with a bow (laughs) see uh one thing i like in the panel above that uh howl's encasing uh the manhunter encasing encasing john in a ring construct uh sort of field of fire yeah he's like that's it's gone. And that's kind of that's kind of neat. You know, it also harkens back to the idea of the Alan Scott, who was Sentinel, Green Lantern at the time. His constructs would always have that sort of look of fire because uh, it was a neat way that they distinguished him from the other Green Lanterns. Right. But, uh, yeah, I like the idea of uh, Alan casing John Fire. But, yeah, Hawk, uh, yeah, Green Arrow can't shoot bows, can't shoot arrows at him. Just whack him in the head. Why not? And I, and I like on that that first panel as well that um, if you look on Hal's shield, 
it's got a pair of floor delays on it. So it's like a like a uh, a French um, a, a French or uh, um, knight's shield, basically. Oh yeah, yeah. He's that's, got he's got he's got some sort of emblem on it. Yeah, that's neat. But when in doubt, you know, uh, everybody knows Hal Jordan's weakness: whack him in the head. <laughs> yeah, because he he goes down. There are so many times he's been whacked. See, I'm surprised the many times that he's got hacked in the, whacked in the head that he hasn't gone into more comas than Guy Gardner. Then it just surprises me. I mean, he's been whacked in the head so many times. I think at one point he joined the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, that's Colossus. I'm oh, sorry. whoops. Guy crossing the streams. <laughs> And then page ten, this whole sequence with Wally, I, I really liked, but I'm a, I'm a Wally West fan. Mm-hmm. Grew up reading the Wally West Flash, so you know Wally's two uncles that he looked up to were Uncle Barry and Uncle Hal. So this yes. sequence rings very true, um, and uh, it, it's interesting because you know at first I was reading this and go, I wonder if Brian Augustine edited this because Augustine was Wade's co-writer for Wally during this period in DC, but he, but Augustine doesn't edit this. No. So it was, but it, it really comes off as very true to the characterization of Wally West that we were getting from Mark Wade and Brian Augustine over in his book at this time. So I really like this whole page. Oh yeah. And I can't the Dr. Doom style. <laughs> it's like parallax so what, does not approve of the flash. Parallax cues for no man. <laughs> No, but yeah, I agree. I love the characterization of Wally and Wally trying to reason with Hal. And, and again, I think that's that's good. That's one of the reasons Ganthet got all these characters. Again, not because only their power sets and being able to take him down, but because they had a relationship with Hal, and hopefully they could you know talk some reason into him. And unfortunately, it, it doesn't seem like they can. Yep. Yep. Uh, page eleven. Um, two two things that stood out is. Uh, Hal makes the big uh, construct tiger, and again, what does Kyle make? He makes a uh, a mecha. Looks yeah. like a mecha. Either I can't tell if that's supposed to be a ceratosaurus or a rhinoceros, but either way, it's pretty cool. Yeah. No, I agree. It's it's very it's very Voltron esque. Well, the Voltron would be the lions, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's it is very mecha. Well, as I say, there there was a as a Super Sentai show called uh, Gal Ranger that was uh, um, adapted here in the states as Power Rangers Wild Force. Oh yeah, which used uh, all the mecha, and that were were animals, were jungle animals, like well, not just jungle, but all sorts of animals. And if they had like a Gal rhinoceros, that's what it would look like. You know, it would look like this, a very uh, mechanical looking um, animal beast like this. And again, giant monsters. So mm-hmm. can't go wrong with that. Gotta love it. And then, of course, the last panel, you know, uh, Superman's hand coming down on Hal's shoulder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when Superman's here, you you know you pretty much, you got to step up your game. (laughs) And again, I like it on the the next page, on page 12, that Superman isn't just going to start out punchy-punchy. He's going to try and reason with Hal. Right, and that's very, that's so typical of the Superman from this era, too. Mm-hmm. Who who was always you know he was he wasn't you know the the thing I the way I always like to describe Superman is he's never the guy that's going to start the fight but he's sure as hell going to finish it mm-hmm. and and in this case he he's if he doesn't have to fight Hal he doesn't want to but when Hal says uh, not much much not much left to say at this point Superman he goes all right that's the way you feel and that's it then the fight is on they've got mm-hmm. that great the kind of classic uh, test of strength pose in the inset panel there. Oh yeah. That's, that's very much, you know, what you'd see like between Hercules and Thor or, you know, pretty much any of those, uh, yeah, like the, know, Hulk. The, the, the Hulk or the thing, the Hulk and the thing. 
going up against each other. And I tend to think Hal is, is, and I like also interesting here at this point, Hal has changed into his Green Lantern costume. Mm-hmm. He's trying to recapture being yeah. Green Lantern, but he's still got elements of Parallax. He's still thinking in the way that Parallax does. So, But I, I tend to think Hal is outclassed here, outpower-classed, but mm-hmm. again, the book is called Green Lantern, so I'm willing to let it, let that slide a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, and I, I always feel, and I talked about this a couple issues ago with uh, J. David Weeder, and in the Guy Gardner book, we had Superman commenting that Guy's punches were almost as powerful as Doomsday, Doomsday's. And I was like, that's really nice in a Guy Gardner book, but I call BS. Yeah. So, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Doomsday took down Superman. Doomsday should be the ultimate you know, uh, powerhouse versus Superman. And even though Green Lantern is incredibly powerful, Superman's power set is still beyond even what Green Lantern could do. So yep. that's just me. And I, that's me coming at it as a fan of Green Lantern and all its iterations. So Superman should always, in my opinion, be the most powerful superhero in the DC universe. Yeah, well, I've, I've often said and, I, and I've lamented numerous times that I'd love for the DCU to go back to being Superman's universe. Mm hmm not Batman's universe that Superman also happens to be in. Yeah. Because I think we get away from one of the fundamental aspects of the DCU when Superman's not the, uh, you know, the alpha dog kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's, the, you know. there could be a time, you know, we'll, we'll have to see, you know, how things change with, uh, uh because uh, nowadays a lot of, uh, comics are, you know, affected by how well the adaptations the movie does. So I'm wondering if uh, Man of Steel will maybe change people's idea that Superman kind of needs to be at the forefront of the DC universe. But we'll see about that. Yeah. Uh, Page 14, Hal creates the the ring construct nuclear bomb. And again, what? It's like, how does that seem like a good idea, Hal? I mean, you're a guy who saw your city blown up by, uh, by Mongol and the cyborg, and you're going to set off a nuke in the middle of Manhattan? Mm-hmm. See, and, and that, the, that's the point where that Mars is saying, where is his head at right now? Yes. No, and, and I agree. You know, that you don't see it, but you've got to imagine that even if this is just a light energy construct of Powell's ring, it's knocked out Superman. It had to cause damage to people. I don't care... This is this is the island of Manhattan. This is New York City. There is a large population, no matter where he is. I doubt this is a you know an abandoned warehouse district of New York City. People have died. Yeah. Hal Jordan has murdered people by doing this. So yeah. That that bottom panel, you can see in the the in the the center of the explosion, its buildings being disintegrated. Mm-hmm being blown apart so clearly the whether it was a nuclear type explosion or not the amount of energy he releases there looks like it i mean it looks like it levels a city block mm-hmm. and and you well, know again in the next panel you see you know uh the girders from buildings lying on the ground next by all the heroes yep yeah so and and i i just want to comment i literally like the line work around that panel where we've just got the uh, just the the sketchy sort of uh, single lines mm-hmm. that the panel has shaken the page almost. Yeah, I, I didn't notice that, but yeah, that that's a good. Yeah, but that that's really neat. Now that I see that, mm-hmm. I like things that interact with the page like that. Oh yeah, 
And uh, then jump over to page 17 again. Kyle knows Hal's weakness, cracks him in the head. <laughs> uh, you know, it would have worked, you know, say in the uh, in the showcase issues or like the first 10 or 20 issues of the Green Lantern book. But now he's Parallax. Yep. Can't well, quack well, Parallax in the head. He's probably built up an immunity to being whacked in the head. <laughs> yeah, it's happened so many times that, you know, yeah, so you've got to basically crown him in the head with a mace. You know, Carter was or Qatar was more uh, more online with uh, trying to whack him in the head. Uh, no, page 19. Uh, what is up with Ollie's beard? Yeah, it's not. OK, this is another thing. That's yeah. this should have is this is another example of this should have been Connor because the, that facial features, uh, the the look, it is definitely Connor Hawk here. It yeah, is and, not, it is not Ollie. So, and if you look in panel two, he doesn't have the beard. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with this. Uh, again, I think it's just Mars wanting to use the character of Oliver Queen and the fact that the artist drew Green Lantern model of the time, which was Connor Hawk. So they had to go, as you know, just do something to fix it at the time. But, yeah, it it, it doesn't doesn't really work. Yeah. And also, what's up with the Dallas Cowboys shirt? Uh, I uh, thought. But he was a New York boy, wasn't he? Well, no, actually, he was a Los Angeles person. But I, I've kind of, I've kind of come to the conclusion that Kyle just wears clothing because he thinks it's cool. Uh, there was an issue uh, early on in the run, like fifty-one or fifty-two, where uh, Alex Dewitt, his girlfriend, was wearing an Oakland Raiders uh, T-shirt, and I think it was probably because, well, it just looked cool. It wasn't that they had any affiliation to the sport or to the team. It was just a cool look. And I think this is another example of that, that Kyle's not really a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. It's just a cool look. And yeah. he was actually wearing this uh, a few issues ago when he was out jogging with Donna Troy. So it makes sense that he'd still have it on. Maybe that's just the one sweatshirt he has, I guess. Yeah, it could, could be. <laughs> you know, you get that one that one sweatshirt you wear, you end up wearing it like for like three months straight. Mm-hmm. Because you know, like, well, it's down here, you know, I don't I'd have to go back upstairs and get another one. Yep. <laughs> uh, the page 20. Great, uh, great um, finish to the story here. We see uh, Kyle or uh, yeah, Kyle uh, reaffirmed as Green Lantern in front of, you know, some some heavy hitters in the DCU right here. Yeah, well, when you've got Superman saying, because now more than ever, you are Green Lantern and you've got the Green Lantern logo in his speech balloon, you, you kind of realize that, yeah, shut up, Pete, people. Yeah. This is Green Lantern. Deal mm-hmm. with it and enjoy the stories because they're going to be good. <laughs> All I can think, though, is, uh, you know what, Huckman Haw- like, that's nice. Who are you? <laughs> I'm sorry, have we met? <laughs> I guess they met. They must. Well, no, Hawkman's not really even in Zero Hour. So yeah, because he was kind of uh, got merged was, at the beginning, and that's it. So. Yeah, that's the thing. He got all. He got merged in like issue three or issue. Yeah, it was one of the early issues, and then you know he wasn't part of the whole attack on uh, Parallax or Extant yep. at the end. But whatever. Yep. And then uh, the epilogue here with uh, with Hal. In a lot of ways, it's kind of an obvious choice, but at the same time, it's a really well put together coda to the story. Mm-hmm. You know, with him uh, reliving his past glory that he can, that is law that has gone to him now, 
and the pain on his face on on the last page here on page uh, 24 even without the pupils in his eyes it's clear you know what he's feeling here as he's kind of, kind of sits almost in the fetal position yeah rolled up now now one thing i'd like to ask about you now i don't know whether you know uh, well, you know how well versed you are in science but the look on this final panel it does look very alien environment but also it kind of looks like it might be a microscopic environment it looks very like it looks like something that you'd see in an atom book with yeah. uh since the sort of layers of the uh the surface of what Hal's sitting on have that sort of scale looking like they're actual individual cells of a uh, larger thing so i'm wondering if it's supposed to be that uh, Ganthet has sort of shrunken Hal down to a microscopic size and he's living on the cell or he's living on the surface of some weird thing. It, it could be either that or it could be an alien world as well. But it, it it's a dynamic panel. And yes, you can tell that Hal is just he's he's beside himself in what he's done. And this is the only way that he can relive his life, that he can deal with his uh with what he's done by living inside of his mind and living this sort of idyllic life in there. Yeah. And, I'm, and again, that, that's a good point about it being perhaps a, a microscopic environment. I, I think it's, it's certainly alien, whether it's actually uh, alien as an outer space or alien as an inner space, but it, it's, it's very off putting and, and strange. And it's a what, and it's, it's almost a little mystery of what, what is this environment that Hal is in as he's, as he's reliving his past glories. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it almost could be symbolic. I almost you almost could picture that as it, it him sitting inside his own brain. Oh yeah, exactly. I never really put that together, but yeah, that could work as well. Perhaps a metaphysical uh, response. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, again sometimes you know I was saying sometimes the obvious choice is the right choice, and and I think having this this type of of epilogue is in many ways an obvious choice for a character like Hal Jordan that had such a high and fell to such lows. But at the same time, it, it's the appropriate ending for the story, and I really like it. And I, and I like that it, it is tagged, in fact, with end there. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, to be continued or, you know, you know how Jordan will return or something like that. It says end. There's a certain sense of finality to it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's fine. You can, if they want to, they can come back to uh, deal with stories with Hal Jordan but they are putting that sort of final code on and saying that this is where Hal is going to be for now. Uh, and, and we're moving on and, uh, I'm, I'm fine with it because Kyle has a long way to go. He's got great character development started from, uh, issue 50 going or issue 51 going on. And his character does nothing more, but grow and become more and more and more of an interesting character. So, yep. But that does it for uh, my notes. Does that uh, finish up yours? Yeah, good. Okay. Good. Order. I, I enjoyed this. I, I haven't read much Kyle Rayner. Um, I, I, I'm ready to admit I dropped the book after uh, Emerald Twilight just because I, I at the time thought it was I, I really thought it's like, really, we're going to we're we're turning Greenland we're turning Greenlander into a genocidal maniac. And I said, OK, that that's enough of my money that you're getting, D.C. I will mm-hmm. go else and uh but you know so i haven't read much kyle and and i've and i've told the story an email before that my favorite green lantern was always alan scott so yeah. <laughs> i wasn't it wasn't like i wasn't one of these heat guys that was going crazy over over how leaving but i wasn't interested in kyle 
but reading these, I mean, it, this is this was really good. I think I'm going to have to check more of these out. This was very, uh, you know, like I said, very a lot of fun. And Kyle seems like a really interesting character mm-hmm. who's definitely his own man. And we're getting to see him grow into that role very nicely. Well, Ron Mars does a really good job of it. There, there are two writers, and surprisingly, uh, you're going to hear me praise Grant Morrison as well for writing uh, Kyle uh, correctly as a character. Both him and Mars do a really great job at developing the character and developing from this sort of uh, uncertain, you know, not not knowing what to do hero into perhaps one of the best Green Lanterns out there. Uh, Some of the stuff, I I don't know whether I'll cover it, but uh, in like the DC one million story arc, uh, Kyle does some things that kind of uh, put to shame a lot of the things that uh, Green Lantern has done before. So, yeah. he becomes a great character and Mars and Morrison later get him, get him right. Sounds good. Okay. Well, we're going to go ahead and take a break here and I'm going to go grab a drink. And when we get back from break, we will take a look at the way of the warrior part four, five and six in guy Gardner warrior, the justice league of America and Hawkman. Stay tuned after the break. Holy nightmare. So we all know who Robin is, right? Short pants, bad, holy insert object gear jokes, kind of weird relationship with an older man who dresses like a bat. I know, right? So not what Batman needs. Thing is, if that's your impression of Robin, then you don't know Robin. I'm Tom Panneries, and for most of my comic collecting career, I've been a Teen Titans fan. Moreover, I've been a huge fan of Robin and Nightwing, so I've decided to take a look at those who have worn the costume in a podcast miniseries called Taking Flight. Taking Flight focuses on the life and career of Dick Grayson as he evolved from Boy Wonder to Nightwing. I'll take a look at his origin story, his time with the Teen Titans, and his evolution into Nightwing. Along the way, I'll also look at Jason Todd and Tim Drake, stopping right after Zero Hour when Dick left the Titans behind. Episodes will come out just about every week at takingflight.podomatic.com, and you can find show notes at popcultureaffidavit.com. Join me as I take a look at Comic Dumb's most famous sidekick, who is a vital part of Batman's mythos. Teenage Anarchist! And we are back. So let's go ahead and hit off our coverage of Guy Gardner Warrior, number 33, which was cover dated uh, August 1995 and released on the 6th of June of 1995. Cover price of $1.75 US, $2.50 Canada, and pound twenty-five UK, with the title of the book being The Way of the Warrior, Part 4, Into the Valley of Death. Writer was Bo Smith, penciler Mark Campos this time. Anchor Dan Davis, Dan Davis is back. Colorist Lee Lowridge, letter Albert Guzman, who lettered basically every book in the DC Universe, and editor Eddie Braganza. Back on the starship MacGuffin, Guy Gardner and what passes at the time for the JLA encounter a fleet of Tormach ships hell-bent blowing our heroes out of the sky, so to speak. The Tormach send out shrikes, one-man attack crafts, to engage the JLA's ship, but Guy isn't going down that easy and rips one of the spikes from the attacking ship and hurls it into the cockpit of his attacker. Being a Bo Smith pen issue, it's pretty much Fighting McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights observed from this point out, with very, various members of the League attacking the Tormox and getting their butts soundly handed to them. Guy is making out pretty well against the invaders until he's captured and absorbed in one of the Tormach bodies. About to get smothered in ghouly alien flesh gravy, ugh, 
guy gets blasted out of his flesh cocoon by Probert, the former Dark Star and protein-enriched yogurt and ass-kicker guy met in issue 20. You know, the one where they head to Oa and Arisi puts on her hooker jam outfit. You remember that one, don't you? Anywho, the duo start back blasting alien butts while Captain Adam, Maxima, and the Martian Manhunter witness the Tormach release a Black Vortexer, essentially the black hole analog to Solaris, the living sun. The heroes split up to avoid the gravity well that the Vortexer is creating, but they begin to get sucked in, which causes Guy to set off to rescue them. But before he can get to them, he is then overpowered by hundreds of Tormach attackers who knock Guy out and take him hostage. And with Gardner out of the way, the Leechen, allies to the Tormachs, easily take out the MacGuffin and the rest of the JLAers on it. The Tormachs, with Guy and the Leechen, and the JLA warp away in separate directions, leaving Diana, Hawkman, and Probert behind. Wondering what to do, Probert suggests that they go after Guy, since he can bring back the Valtarians into the universe, effectively boning the Tormach and their plans of galactic conquest. And with that, the trio speed off after the captured Guy Gardner. Meanwhile, on the husk of the planet that was once Voldar, Lord Bronk, leader of the Tormox and part-time Sauron impersonator, is all a flutter at the prospect of destroying the last remnant of an ancient enemy. Elsewhere on the Tormox ship that captured Guy, Empress Karine, Bronk's snuggle bunny and sister, is all a flutter at the prospect of boning the last remnant of her ancient enemy. Yeah. And that finishes up my coverage of Guy Gardner, number 33. Dude, 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 that's all. But no. Uh, uh, oh, I only wish it was that. On That was all. I mean, uh, this, is my, this is the first, uh, on the first reread of the book since I got this, I was kind of confused what's going on because there's a lot of fighting and unrecognizable characters. And uh, I it, liked fight sequences, but unfortunately, without Mitch Burt's artwork, Mark Campos tries to mimic it, but it just it doesn't flow as well for me. So, yeah, individual scenes are, are good, but I think it I think it's two things. I think one, uh, I don't know that, that Campos is is his strong suit doesn't seem to be the storytelling aspect of the art. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he seems much more suited to just straight action and, and pinup style shots. And I think having a lack of really recognizable foes that they're fighting makes it unclear a lot of times from the art who's where and who's where in relation to someone else. Exactly. Yeah. You know, if, if it were characters or enemies that we knew of, uh, if it were, say, the Dominators or if it were, say, uh, um, uh, Daxamites or any other characters in the DC universe that we knew of, you know, we might be able to be uh, – relate to the storyline a lot better but since there are these created villains for essentially the guy gardner book it really makes it difficult to follow what's going on in the story yeah, and and the tormach they they and maybe and this is something that comes up in the jla issue as well they appear to be almost like uh i don't know like a mercenary band or something there's no unifying design aspect to them they don't all look alike in any real way so i don't know if that's just their their soldiery is is uh you know called from different planets that they've conquered or something like that but it's hard to tell who's who in this you almost need you need a program you know pretty much it does it does kind of seem like they have 
basically picked up whatever people from whatever planet to be a part of their uh, Tormok army. So the sort of the one unifying thing between all the characters of of this army is they're all 90s looking characters. <laughs> they're all very, very 90s. So that's that's the only way you can tell them apart. Yeah. Uh, I do got to say that the splash page, I really like the splash page here where, um, first off, I really like the credits being on the bits of, uh, of space rock that are floating around. I thought that was a nice touch, kind of mm-hmm. a 60s touch there. And uh, But just this, this widescreen shot of the big space battle between uh, the Tormachs and uh, they're laying siege to this planet. And we've got the Justice League ship and the Shrikes and the different things. I just thought that was a neat panel. You know, it almost... This reminds me of something like Jim Starlin would draw in like a Captain Marvel issue. Oh, yeah. You know, just a lot of stuff going on, a lot of cosmic things out in space. And it's not it's very impersonal by design, you know. Yeah, very much so. I I, I do kind of get that sort of Captain Marvel uh, vibe here. It is very uh, the the ships, the the Tormox. I've commented on this before. They do have that sort of very. uh James Cameron aliens feel. They look a lot like the Sulaco from that uh, thing, but uh, I like the design. It's very, very sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it look, it, it does. I definitely see the Cameron style influence. Also, it looks like something you might see, and this is because they were also ripping it off, like um, uh, in the uh, the Warhammer 40k universe. Yes. Um, the in in there's a Warhammer 40k universe game called Battlefleet Gothic, which is a a capital ship combat game. The Space Marine ships look a lot like these type of Tormach, just you know, uh, uh, just plugs basically is what they look like. You know, there's no elegance to them at all, mm-hmm. which fits the Tormach character. So that that's that's good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so much of this fighting is just it's it. It's hard to make heads or tails of some of it. You know, like th- there's a neat sequence with the Flash where he vibrates through the ship and then gets caught in the ship, and mm-hmm. it's like the ship is. Is, is the ship a living person or, or is this a living person he's vibrated into? Well, and so, this is another thing because you – I can't tell whether he's vibrated out in the space because they say after uh, the ship gets crashed into to put up their personal force fields for those who can't survive in outer space. So you've got to assume that Wally's got his little personal force field, you know, making sure that he doesn't explosively decompress. But is he supposed to be running – through the vacuum of space to get to this other ship or is this, you know, it's, it's hard to follow. And, yeah. and I think that kind of, kind of takes away from the book that you don't know exactly where things are in, in aspect to the other places or, you know, what's going on here or where this person is. So it's, it, it jumps around a bit, which sort of muddles the book. Yeah. But like on, on page nine here, we see guy cutting loose and uh, Campos and Davis, they're they're in their element with this type of stuff, where it's just straight, straight, uh, you know, straight ahead action. And I I, really, I like this whole sequence with you know guy morphing his hands into scythes and clubs and claws, where he's taking out all these uh, Tormak agents. And we see uh, Empress Kareen watching him on the screen. I thought that was a nice a nice sequence too. But it's it's almost like this could be taking place on another planet for all we know for as far as its relation to what's going on, like with the flash that we just saw or with Nuclon and obsidian or anything else, you know, I mean, I really like this page. I mean, if you're going to have this sort of aggressive overblown 90s style, go all out with it, you know? And, uh, and, and again, a character like guy who's uh, 
physicality uh, is is forefront and his warrior persona and whose uh, body's type is supp- intentionally exaggerated. Mm-hmm. It all, it works better than say a character who's just who's just exaggerated for no real reason just because that was the art choice. Here he's he's pumping his body up like this for combat. You know. Yes. So I, I like I listen, I like this page and again and we actually see some more gore here as he's tearing people apart. In fact, we see some red blood. It'd be a perfect time for a, uh, an alien to have not red blood, but no, they've got to have bright red blood here. Mm-hmm. Well, again, like I said uh, in the last episode, this one and I think the the Hawkman book don't bear the comics code on there. So these books, I think, may have gotten been able to get away with a bit more more violence. So yeah, yeah then we we jump over to page eleven when Probat shows up. And, yes, uh, it comes with a free probat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think Thomas DJ commented that he's not really too fond of having a character that has the name Probe anywhere in his name. So, well, you know, it's it's the old trope of having the super tough guy have a really goofy name. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess. So. Well, that's that's probably why in the story they refer to him as the bad one because. If you if you hear that you're going to get attacked by the bad one, oh, that's that's fearful. If you hear you're going to be attacked by Probert, well, I don't know. Maybe you know if you're going to be attacked by Probert, that might strike some fear into you as well. But yeah. it's it, all all we need is is someone like God. I thought your name was Leslie or something. <laughs> uh, but the that middle panel, on the, it's panel three here with uh, Probert and Guy back to back. Guy has morphed his arms into the big guns, and Probert's got his two hand cannons. Do you get more 90s than two muscle-bound dudes back-to-back blowing <laughs> away things with guns? Oh, I don't think you <laughs> do. One of them has, uh, like, spiky red crew-cut hair, and the other's got a, uh, a ponytail, and he's wearing a leather jacket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Other guy's got tattoos. Tattoos. Uh, <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. I think, I think if Ice Maiden was between them, like kneeling and like crossing her arms so that her chest was pushed forward and arching, mm. that might make it more 90s. Uh, that, I think I think that's what you'd have to do, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then on page 12, we get Captain Adam kind of cutting loose. And again, we uh, the, the metal mullet here. Oh, God. that uh, Yes, that is a mullet. Yeah. Uh, all, all apologies to anyone who is griped at Michael Bailey for saying that the Superman hair is a mullet. All that I've seen on Superman in the past thing, the past couple of issues, especially in the Green Lantern issue we just covered, was longer hair. It, this is a mullet here. It's the typical short on, you know, party in the or party in the back, business in the front. Yeah, I mean, he looks like he could be the front man of a hair band. <laughs> yeah, I could see him, you know, belting out uh, some uh, more than words or. I don't know. Uh, Extreme? Yeah, it's like Captain Adam live on the way of the warrior tour. (laughs) I actually, you know, I can see him doing like docking. Oh, yes. Docking is. Dream Warrior! No, settle. You gotta dream no more! (laughs) Uh, Then on the next page of the last panel, we get the. I don't know, it's, it's just crazy Captain Adam face right there. It's like, show me your crazy face, Captain. There it is, right there. <laughs> I don't know what that... Uh, it reminds me of some 
sort of art style from some other book in the 90s, but I can't remember. But this is just ridiculous. Wow. He looks, you know what he looks like? He looks like the Wendigo. Oh my god. That might be it. If you, if you take out the his line of, oh my lord, look above, and <laughs> photoshopped in, Wendigo! This page is Wolverine attack. No, I'm <laughs> but I, I don't know. This... Uh, then we get um, on, on page 18. Actually, it's a, kind of a neat moment here, but again, we lose it a little bit in the in Campos's art because, you know, again, storytelling doesn't seem to be a strong point. Um, the Tormach are taking out the Justice League. They've taken out uh, Blue Devil and uh, whoever this blue this blue dinosaur that's, guy is. Yaz. Yaz. He's he's essentially the the Elron for this. Uh version of the just league he's the he's the comic relief character but uh then so you see the uh the it's the um the legion are surrounding uh ice maiden and fire and it it looks like they like they're backing up and they're they're getting hemmed in and they collide and that's what takes them out is what it looks like but it's hard to tell Mm -hmm. exactly what's going on in these panels here yeah i i don't it is the fact that his art is so it's so 90s and it's hard to describe it's so 90s and so detailed it's so hyper detailed that sometimes you can't tell what's going on in the panel so yeah you can't tell in this one little panel where it's kind of yellow and the two are in silhouette what happened to the two because the previous panel to that looks like they're fighting off these uh these legion goons and moving back into each other. So I, I mean, that was, that was the first thing I thought was that they, they must, they crashed into each other and their powers would have a, 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 a what Stanley would call a negative feedback mm-hmm. on each other. But, and, and again, it, it's not, it's, it's not that the art is, is bad, but it's, you know, like, again, it's the panels are weird shaped and they don't seem to flow very well. And the colors are very, are very kind of oversaturated. It's, it's like I said, it's it's not that I don't I don't not that I hate the art, because like I said, I I know this type of artwork very well. It's just it's not well suited to storytelling, to yes. sequential storytelling. And in and in this fight, which is already confusing to begin with, you know, it makes it that much more uh, of a of a pain to try and figure it out. Uh, exactly, and that's uh, that that exactly you know sums up what my feelings are on the book. You know, it. It's good artwork. I mean, it's good '90s artwork. If you if you look at the style of artwork in the '90s, this this is a good representation of it. And you know, for better or worse, it, it works. But unfortunately, it doesn't progress the story along. And this chapter in the book is just it's it, it it's not as good as the rest of them. So, no. and unfortunately, it's it mainly serves the purpose of separating the crew. Mm-hmm. Which you know, really, really does no good because it, it allow, Well, I guess it does no good because the storyline we're looking for is to find out what the warriors are doing, which are Guy, uh, Hawkman, and Diana, and unfortunately Probert for whatever the hell reason. But uh, it it basically puts the Justice League off doing their own little book, and we get more moments of mopiness. So. Uh, I, I do like uh, that the the crew that's going after uh, Guy are kind of the classic Justice Leaguers with Hawkman and and Diana, mm-hmm. and of course 
Robert. <laughs> then on page 21, we get we get Guy being seduced by Empress Kareen. Uh, she, mm. She's got kind of a predator mouth thing going on there. Very mm, Yes, she does. <laughs> You're one ugly motherfucker. Uh, yeah, that... Uh, yeah, that was creepy. And it looks like Eric Larson drew her tongue. Mm-hmm. No, she borrowed that straight from Venom. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, it the, the the artwork does kind of come a bit together because it's getting more towards the, the sort of paneled grid look at the back back end of the book. But yeah, the artwork throughout this was just it was suited to a '90s comic, but not suited to the story. But you know, what can you do? Yep. You, you take the good and you take the bad. You take them both and there you have. I had the facts of life. The facts of life. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this one's not a letdown, but not the best uh, issue of God. This was no This was no issue uh, 37 of uh, Green Lantern bad, but <laughs> not really not really the best stuff that's been done on the guy. It wasn't even as good as the pre... Not even... Like the Hawkman issue, it wasn't as good as the previous issue with Guy Gardner. No, and you know I think Campos does good '90s art, but it's just so there's so much going on that it's hard to figure out what what the story is trying to be. So maybe maybe it'll come back and you know because we've got one more issue of Guy Gardner to cover to wrap up the storyline, but we'll see how the other uh, the other books this time out come out. So. Once again, if if you don't have anything else to say about the book, anything? Nope. I do just want to point out this month we are getting the beginning of the uh, Batman Forever ads on the back covers of all the DC books. Oh, yeah. And uh, actually uh, opened on my birthday on June 16th. Neat. And I saw Batman Forever the day after my birthday because that was a June 16th was a Friday. So I saw it on that Saturday. Uh, and actually, I, I really I still like Batman Forever. Uh, you know, I, I well, like a good movie you know i i think val kilmer was a good batman he may not have been the best bruce wayne but uh it was definitely better than batman and robin yeah it goes that goes without saying i mean and when you i think if you know some of the backstory of what happened to the script for batman forever some of the things that were cut out of it some of the stuff the psychological stuff that kilmer really pushed for and they, they exist as deleted scenes you can find them on youtube and such uh like the payoff to the whole story with the red uh his father's red book and the bat and and all this kind of stuff that that was actually very very interesting and very psychological but it wasn't what um you know what schumacher nor dc really wanted to do at that point so it kind of got left by the wayside and um you know, and, 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 you know, like Jim Carrey's performance, I don't think has aged well, no. but, uh, but it, again, it was Jim Carrey in night in the mid nineties. It, it was, it was, it was a zeitgeist of what was going on, you mm-hmm. know? And, uh, but again, I, I still like the movie. I think it, I think it holds up on a very kind of, uh, popcorn munching level. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I'll, and I will defend it. I mean, I've, I've caught it. It's been on G4 a lot lately for some reason. So I've seen bits and pieces of it. And and but Val Kilmer and Chris O'Donnell make make really good a really good Batman and Robin pair. And mm-hmm. I'll just say that you know. And, and and the Batman and Robin here in in, in this iteration of the of the movie, they look decent. Uh, they don't look the over the top goofy that we'd get in the next movie. I mean, and, and like I said, you know, I 
I liked the the version of Batman that Val Kilmer portrayed. Uh, you know, Kilmer kind of reminded me of um, a little bit of how of how uh, Batman was portrayed by Kevin Conroy. Mm-hmm. And I and don't people don't jump through the internet and kill me for saying this. What I'm saying is that he portrayed you know Conroy's uh, Wayne was kind of a fop, but he wasn't a complete doofus. Mm-hmm. And Kilmer's Wayne was kind of that way too. He he was a sharp businessman, but he was disinterested. And then their their Batman are both kind of just driven and very stern, you know, typical of Batman. You know, the line that I love, it's just a throwaway line, but I think it's Kilmer's best line in the movie, is, uh, you know, uh, Robin says to him, he go, or before he's Robin, he's just Dick Grayson says, you know, um, if I'm, if I'm going to go out and kill uh, Two-Face, you can't stop me. Well, he just stares him down and says, I can stop you. And it's like, yeah, that's something Batman would say. It's like, you know, there, there's not a question here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I say is the truth. So, but well, just, yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I think we both can, can agree on the fact that, you know, of all the iterations of Batman, I think Kevin Conroy is the one that essentially nailed the character yeah. and, and will in, in many people's minds be the Batman. So, and, and you know, the, the thing about that though is, you know, uh, Conroy had the most time to work with it too. You know, that's true. He, you know, he put in, you know, he did so many episodes of the Batman Adventures and uh, the, uh, well, not the Batman Adventures, that's the comic, but the Batman show and yeah, uh, did. the new adventure. So, uh, and Adventure. even the Justice League taking on that. So, yeah. Right. But uh, unfortunately, this isn't a Batman podcast. This is a guy. The internet has never seen a Batman podcast. No, I, I, I don't think they ever will. I mean, he's not that popular very character right now. I can't do sarcasm. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and take the break. Uh, We'll be back here after this promo, and we'll get on to the Justice League and the Hawkman book right after this. Hey, Kiss Comics! Hey, Michael! Yeah? We need to do a new promo. A new one? A new one. Why? Because we've moved. Moved? Moved. We've moved to a new place. We still read comics. We do. We still talk about comics. Because you can't do a comic book podcast unless you read and talk about comics, because that's kind of stupid. But now, we have a new episode still available every Thursday, but at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Hey Kids Comics! So remember, Hey Kids Comics has moved to twotruefreaks.libson.com. Still, every Thursday. That'll do, won't it? Okay, and we are back. So, like I said prior to the break, we're coming up on Justice League America number 102. It was cover dated August 1995, with a release date of June 20th, 1995, a cover price of $1.75 US, 250 Canada, and a pound 25 UK. The title was Way of the Warrior Part 5, Breakout. Writer was Gerard Jones, penciler Chuck Wojcikowicz, I guess, again. Inker this time was John Nyberg, letterer Clem Roberts, colorist Gene D'Angelo, assistant editor Ali Morales, not Rags, oddly, and editor Brian Augustin. Separated from Guy, Diane, and Hawkman, the rest of the Justice League are being held captive in the gooey Tumac prison by the most dreaded bounty hunter in the galaxy, Flicker. <laughs> Okay, no, I couldn't even keep a straight face, sorry. The Leaguers mope around, with Ice Maiden and Obsidian being the main perpetrators. Flicker demands that the Tormox hand over some of the prisoners for his payment for capturing them, and Wally West begs for them to release him. Not knowing that he's become even faster post-Zero Hour, 
Flicker whips him out of the muck, allowing the Flash to beat down the villains and release the rest of the League. The McFightenstide begins, interspersed with flashbacks of Ice Maiden getting all weepy over her past, leading up to becoming a member of the Global Guardians. The team realizes that their escape might be hindered by the Tormark Armada overhead when they're enveloped in rapey tree roots from the Evil Dead movie, the good one with Bruce Campbell in it. As the heroes are drawn into the ground, Ice Maiden snaps and uses her super cold powers, much to the chagrin of the overly protected fire, to tunnel into the pit. Inside, she finds that the ship they were on is actually a living being, so John and Maxima attempt to communicate with it. The duo find that the ship is even more mopey and insecure than Ice Maiden, which is hard to do, so Sigrid tells John and Maxima to channel her inner bitterness into the Sourpuss starship, causing them to fight the tor- against the Tormach Armada and save the rest of the leaders. Crisis averted, the team head out to find Guy, Katar, and Diana. You know, the group of the storyline that we actually want to see. Oh, and Ice Maiden bitch slaps fire for being such a negative Nancy. The end. Yeah, it's... Well, and... and... <laughs> You know the the silly thing about this is this is actually I like this issue, but it wow. has nothing to do with what we're reading. No, as, it is. as a single issue of the Justice League, I thought this is pretty good. Oh yeah, I'll give you that. I mean, the artwork is good. Uh, you know, it's a fun issue. Uh, there's some good character moments, especially with Wally uh, being the clever one to break out of uh, you know the whole break the league out of the whole trap. But again, it's it it seems like it's part two of a different story, though, because mm-hmm. it, it, it's not connected with what's going on with uh, with, with the main characters. With Guy, I mean, this is a Guy Gardner centric crossover. Mm-hmm. Okay, this 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 crossover could have been done with in the books of just uh, Guy Gardner, Warrior, and Hawkman. Diana had had just guest starred in Hawkman like two months before this or before this storyline started. So, you know, so there's obviously been a connection with Diana and Hawkman. They could have just done it in the, those two. And this could have been its own story, a separate story. Maybe it has the Tormach in it, but it still would have been its own thing because, I mean, like I said, I thought this was, was decent, but this has nothing to do with the storyline. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's because, you know, Gerard Jones, I don't know whether it was because he might have been burned with the Green Lantern thing with his version of Emerald Twilight versus what eventually came out as Emerald Twilight and whether he was just not wanting to play in everyone else's sandbox or whether he just had this storyline where he wanted the just league to be in space and fight this enemy, but, and, and put flicker in the book. But, yeah. you know, it, it is definitely just has essentially nothing to do with uh, the, the whole storyline, except at the end where the just league comes in and, you know, the living planet or the planet with a brain comes and, uh, well, spoilers helps with the end of the uh, book, but yeah, uh, yeah I, 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 do you have uh, other than saying, uh, other than me just saying it was a interesting storyline about uh, Sigrid and her dealings with Global Guardians and how now she's trying to fill Ice's boots and you know not really working out that well her uh, relationship with uh, Fire, but other than that, I, I don't have any specific notes in the book. Do you have any notes? Well, most of my notes were related to Ice Maiden as well, and I, again, I visually, 
especially on page two, that first panel, she is visually the complete antithesis of ice. You know, uh, ice was, was very demure and didn't show a lot of skin. And she was this very, you know, uh, um, she had a, a sort of naive look, even though the character wasn't a naive character. Mm-hmm. She had an innocence to her. I mean, ice maiden had, she's, she's busty as all get out. She's got mountains of cleavage. Her mm-hmm. outfit, designed to show off as much skin as possible she's got the long white hair you know uh she so visually she's very much the the opposite of ice well the unfortunate thing is at the time just prior to this they tried to make the character of ice they tried to make tora into this same sort of character they gave her a new look which had a very low cut uh cleavage bearing uh thing with a very uh almost Asgardian Thor-type cape, and a sort of look like this. And they tried to make Ice this sort of very Hotsy-Totsy-type character, which didn't fit her character at all. And now that they've replaced Ice with another character who has the same sort of you know look that they tried to make Ice into, it's just even more annoying to me. Yeah. Uh, but... And, and again, I, I liked what they did with the flashbacks and such. It actually made me interested in this character of Iceman, mm-hmm. who's I've, I, who I'm not familiar with at all outside of these issues. So I, I think in that sense, it, uh, uh, you know, uh, Gerard Jones does a good job. And, and just an interesting note, I like that. Um, I'm going to try my hands. That is what would you watch Kowitz? Watch Kowitz? Yes. Watch Kowitz. I like that he draws everybody in a consistent pose when they're trapped. So like every time we see Ice Maiden when she's trapped, her hands are above her head and fire is bent over and with her hands tied back and Maxima's arms are up by her head and uh, Captain Adam is kind of slunched over. So he, it's consistent page to page. I like that. You know, they weren't they're all kind of in the same pose every time we see them until they break free. No, that's uh, that's good continuity, because, you know, you could also. And if they wanted to, they could have also fudged that, you know, them moving around by saying, well, it's a it's a living ship or whatever. And it's goo that they can kind of move in, but they can't get out of. So, But like I said, I, I liked the bits with Ice Maiden. I liked her. I liked the flashbacks. I thought that that did a lot to explain this character a little bit. Uh, and then I liked her cutting loose with the the super cold, which remind me of like it's like Johnny Storm, only the uh, only cold instead of mm-hmm. hot. And uh, and but as I said, it's it's perfectly serviceable issue with Justice League, but I wasn't reading this book, so I'm not particularly interested. Yeah. And, yeah. Then the only other note I had, we've been talking about how Diana was not Wonder Woman anymore. Mm-hmm. And we get the uh, the ad right after page 16, the full page ad uh, with John Byrne coming back on Wonder Woman with issue 100. Mm-hmm. No one, excuse me, where it's uh, Diana back in her classic costume. It says the winner and still champion, which I thought was nice. Yes. And that's a that's a that's a beautiful image. That's a beautiful Burn drawing of Wonder Woman. Yeah. Burn could draw Wonder Woman, you know. Mm-hmm. Burn and Perez, both of them. If you were any you know, in this era, that was Wonder Woman, you know. Oh yeah. That it, but that's again it's and so it's funny they have to have the footnote that this takes place before that issue of Wonder Woman. Yeah. Because Diana is not in her, you know, it was in the pre in the Guy Gardner. They had that because Diana is still Diana, mm-hmm. you know, still out in space, so she can't have fought Artemis yet or whatever happens in that. I've never actually read it. I'm assuming yeah. it's Artemis, but <laughs> but yeah, that was all I had for the issue. Okay, well, cool. Well, uh, if that's it, why don't we go ahead and head on to 
what I'm going to make the assumption is it's a much better issue of Hawkman. Hawkman number 23. Uh, cover date of August 95. Uh, price of 225 US, 325 Canada. Uh, £1.50 UK uh, was uh, Way of the Warrior Part 6 Essential Warfare. Story by William Mesner Lobes, pencil Steve Lieber, inks Kurt Schultz, uh, letters Bob Panaha, colors uh, Patricia Mulvihill, and editor Jim Spivey. On Voldar, the one time home of the Voldarians, now a burnt out husk doubling as the Tormach stronghold, the Amazon Diana is on the run from Tormach Shrike Flyers. As the Amazon deftly dodges their blast, she does not counterattack, instead leading her pursuers into a trap, sprung by Hawkman and the Bad One, Probert. The heroes make short work of three of the Shrikes, but disable the final member of the Shrike one. Probert is able to hotwire the craft, and the trio makes shaky progress through the air to the Tormach Citadel. Inside the Citadel, we catch up with Guy Gardner, who is in a... compromising position with the Tormach Empress Kareem. The Empress asks Guy if she is beautiful, and the warrior starts to clue in that, in this instance, Kareen is a lover, not a fighter. Kareen desires Guy's... genetic material to help revitalize the Tormach race, which is in decline. Guy blocks at the idea, but, stroking his face, Kareen tells Guy the Tormach's greatest secret, that long ago, they and the Voldarians came from the same race, and that they share the same blood. So she and Guy should be compatible. Guy is still not interested, so Kyrene chooses to engage in foreplay by shocking Guy with a massive charge of electrical energy. Back outside, Hawkman, Diana, and Probert attack the sentries, overcoming them and making entry into the stronghold. They begin to make their way to the detention block, but once inside, Probert's knowledge of the layout fails him, and they are boxed in, surrounded by Tormach troops. Meanwhile, Guy is still in the thrall of Kareen's electrical embrace. Before she can consummate the match, however, Hawkman, Diana, and Probert crash through the wall right on time. Kareen knows that she has lost her chance in retreats, but not before setting off a planet-wide alarm. Hawkman tells his partners that they should prepare themselves for the worst. are dramatic (laughs) oh this was so much the book was so much better and the artwork was so much cleaner and crisper in here uh lieber does a really good job doing the action scenes aren't over the top and you can actually kind of tell what's going on i think lieber is a better artistic storyteller than uh campos was so it's much easier to follow the storyline and what's going on with it now uh, his uh, his look on probert which you know is a character i could give or take isn't really all that good but overall i i really like this yeah i thought this was a good issue too it's uh and and much more focused on guy gardner again even mm-hmm. though it yeah the, yeah, that's that was another comment I had that for a Hawkman issue, Hawkman really isn't in it all that much. I mean, he has a few sequences where he bashes some people in and uh, 
does some you know Hawkman type fighting stuff. But yeah, again, this is a pretty much uh, a Guy Gardner centered centered issue. Well, uh, what kind of notes do you got, there, Sean? Let's see. Uh, I really, I think the cover. Uh, this is the of this episode. I think this is my favorite cover. It's really dynamic with uh, Diana and Hawkman crashing in on the very predator-looking Karine, except uh, the predator with you know very two giant circular orbs in the middle of her chest, which I guess is you know uh, that's that's fine. It's the '90s and boobs were a plenty in that time, but uh, everyone looks good on this, and Guy looks very very muscle but he doesn't look overly done so i like the like the cover here yeah it's very nice ron ron lim actually did an issue of hawkman he did issue 21 Mm -hmm. and what's weird is that the interiors he did on 21 were not all that great but his covers have been fantastic yeah i've liked i've really liked all the covers that ron lim has done uh like i said i think last issue uh in the next episode Ron Lim's going to be doing the Green Lantern, not only the Green Lantern cover, but the Green Lantern interiors, and it's really good. Uh, I think Ron Lim did a lot of work over with Marvel, and he was uh, the artist on, I think, the Silver Surfer, which is odd because he's going to be coming back with Ron Mars, who was the writer on Silver Surfer. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But yeah. Lim um, did Silver Surfer. He also did some work on Iron Man at this time too. Oh right? yeah, yeah. Let's see. Uh, pages one and two, I know you skipped over this because this is Hawkman-specific stuff where I guess they're setting up a sort of a third-rate uh, Arkham Asylum or Blackgate prison yeah. for metahumans here, and that's something that will be covered in the Hawkman story. And we, we actually get two footnotes in one page here on page two. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, the first, he says um, that, Hawk, that uh, they brought about the end of the netherworld. And I, I mentioned on a previous the previous episode that the Netherworld was the kind of uh, the community of metahumans who weren't involved in superheroics or supervillainy that was in Chicago. Basically, it was just a, a a subculture community that was basically wiped out after being a huge part of Hawkworld was wiped out in the first year of Hawkman Volume Three to make way for the Avatar storyline. And then the second. He says, we are continuing our investigation into the death of Ephraim Dees. Ephraim Dees was the first of the avatars that uh, Hawkman fought after becoming the avatar of the Hawk. Oh. Uh, Ephraim Dees was a businessman who was the had the avatar, the grizzly bear, who was this brutal, um, you know, cutthroat businessman that went toe to toe with Hawkman in Hawkman's first battle with another avatar. So, yeah, th- this is all stuff that subplot for for Hawkman. And uh, and this is I've I've actually not gotten to this part yet, so I don't know we even know what the payoff is to this yet. Oh, interesting. But the you know, Loeb stayed on the book for uh, the book ran for about a year beyond this, so uh, so well, we'll see what that develops into. Okay, cool. I will be checking out your blog to see what goes on with that. Uh, next page, Diana looks good, even though she's in her downtown Julie Brown thing. But you know, how that stays on. That's that's what I'm really just the you know we, we have a saying in in my industry that you can't change the laws of physics how does that stay on you know that's all i want to know <laughs> you know uh amazonian physics i don't yes. know why not <laughs> careful careful taping careful taping yeah. yeah uh page five that splash page 
Oh man, Hawkman looks good on this. This yeah. is this is uh, he looks completely badass here with the with the Qatar punching sword in his hand and the gravity gun. Is that what you call it in the mm-hmm. one hand? Graviton. Oh, just yeah. graviton gun. Oh yeah, he looks awesome here. The gleaming on the hawk emblem on his chest. Mm-hmm. And the and the and the coloring on his on his wings, you know, going from a sort of darker gray to a little lighter gray, it looks like the light shining on it, just really good. And the water, the water dripping from it, it's uh, it's a great splash. Splash pages are an art form, and when they're overdone, it, it gets it gets to be annoying. But this is well placed and a really good splash. Yeah, and it and it works with the story too because Diana has done. You know, with her smirk on the on the bottom of page four, mm-hmm. he knows something's up, and then the trap is sprung immediately after that, which I thought was neat. Mm-hmm. It's a great, a great iconic shot of Hawkman from this era here. Uh, then moving on to page seven, that second panel with Probert in the panel, <sighs> he looks to, he looks off. It looks it looks like his mouth is too small for his head, and it looks like he just has a pair of those little. Uh, fake you know chattering teeth in his mouth it's, it's a little like paul stanley doesn't he here <laughs> he kind of does maybe, maybe it's the makeup <laughs> well he was made for loving you baby oh my god uh, that's worth a deuce right there <laughs> the character of probert's a deuce if you because <laughs> like everybody kind of gets a, a chance to shine mm-hmm you know, uh, on page six, uh, you see Hawkman, he, he takes out uh, or slashes uh, one of the uh, shrikes with his guitar and then blows it to pieces with the, the graviton gun. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, Probert gets hit, gets his uh, rounds in. And then Diana looks great on, on page eight, where she flies right through and, and just tears the thing apart. I thought that was really nice. Oh, yeah. And I, I like Lieber's touch of having her hair flying up as she's coming down in the last panel. Mm-hmm. You know, paying attention to the inertia on her hair, I thought that was nice. Oh yeah, yeah. well, and that's that's something that that, that uh, a lesser artist might not might not catch, but yeah, that's good work there. Um, next note, page nine. I've got. Uh, well, I liked in page nine that every time we see the shot through the canopy, mm-hmm. we get that that blue. Um, we're what we're seeing through the canopy, so everything has that blue tint to it, that monochromatic blue. And so, like we see, like on page uh, on page ten in the bottom panel, where we're, where the camera, so to speak, is shooting through the canopy, where the parts of it that are through the canopy are blue, but then it's the sharp cut to where it's in color. Oh yeah, that was pretty neat. Yeah, that's neat. I, I think I was talking about on on panel two the uh, the comment of you know the uh, Leechin character saying locking on prey, maximum penetration, ready cluster fire. <laughs> You change the last three letters of that last word there, and you've got an entirely different uh, storyline going through. Which... Yep. And that, well, that's what's going on with with Kareen and Guy. That's something totally different. <laughs> yes, there's going to be a bit of cluster <laughs> firing there, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. The the whole uh, pages 12 through 14, Kareen, this this very predator looking alien trying to seduce Guy, and there's a lot of sexual tension between. You know, uh, especially in on page twelve, that panel of her just guy splayed apart, and her just sort of rubbing up between his legs. It's all all sorts of creepy. Uh, 
All I and, and it's funny because she says, "Gaze upon the Empress Kareen, Valderian. Am I not beautiful?" All I could expect Guy to say is, "Baby, you got real ugly." <laughs> Either that, or if, uh, it would have been even better if they would have pulled a line from the Predator Predator movie and said, "You are one ugly mother." <laughs> uh, I love Guy's uh, his face on uh, on page fourteen, panel one, where he's got kind of the crunchy eye, like. <laughs> Where he says, ain't you the little romantic? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I'm certain, you know, as, as horny of a, well, guy was never really uh, displayed as that horny of a character. He wasn't like Hal Jordan who would, who would try and bone a female if she just walked in front of him. I mean, guy was pretty dedicated to, to Torah, but you know, he, he wouldn't shy away from, reading porno mags but i i don't think even guy could be turned on by the predator face yeah but here look on page you know panel two looks pretty good from the back you know? that's true well <laughs> maybe it's, you put a bag over her head and yeah in high school we call it the baghead principle <laughs> <laughs> oh lord i don't know but <laughs> uh most i i don't really have notes until page 19 the only comment I have is uh, page 17, mm-hmm. uh, where they uh, they waded into the uh, fighting the the Tormak forces here. Uh, I thought this the top number uh, panel number one there was real good, where Hawkman smacking a uh, Tormak with his mace, and Diana has just just punched some dude right in the jaw. And uh, I, I like all the the random Tormak style aliens here. Kind of reminds me a little bit of the Netherworlders from Hawkman because they were all random. They no two of them looked alike because they were all just strange metahumans. So that was just kind of a visual callback for me. I just like the action here. Well, and uh, see the action here is much clearer, and the, the the characters are all distinct. So I don't know what happened in the Guy Gardner book, because here you can actually tell what kind of what's going on. And maybe it's just a credit to Lieber being, you know, a bit more, a bit better of a storytelling artist. But yeah, it, it's a lot easier to follow who's fighting who and, you know, what characters are getting punched here rather than just what's going on. So uh, I think... Uh, what I got to on page 19 was um, I really hope that that claw thing that uh, Kareen has on her right hand there isn't how uh, she's going to steal guys, uh, rich, pure essence because uh, that might be really painful. Yeah. I like guys line here when she says, give in breed the tissue samples. So as to be fully compatible, give me all your rich, pure essence, not that kind of boy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. But, uh, until that, uh, the last note I really have, uh, go ahead. I was gonna say page 20. I love that. We get the exact scene from the cover. Yes. And, and it's such a novelty nowadays back then, much more commonplace. So it was great to see that, you know, Mm -hmm. it, 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 it's a take on the cover. It's not exactly the same, but it's close enough that you can actually notice that. I saw this, uh, recently in a, in a, Green Lantern book from a couple of issues ago where uh, it was this sort of this half and half alien robot hybrid that was uh, attacking Kyle and essentially the cover was right there in the book so yeah that's nice to see that every once in a while and then yeah you don't really see that at all in modern comics no, everything's got to be a pinup cover now oh yeah 
Um, page 21, panel 5, it seems that uh, the Tormox also have somewhat of a morphing power as well, as we see uh, uh, Empress Karine growing wings out of her back and then flying off in the next panel. So, yeah, and, it, yeah. and it even it even uh, surprises Hawkman. Right. And and they look almost like, yeah, like, because uh, her, her, you know, she's still got her claw. There it is. It's just growing out of her back like that. That is interesting. Mm-hmm. I also like um, uh, the panel four right before that, where once again, Guy and Hawkman, you know, two warriors at brothers in arms kind of thing again. Mm-hmm. And and we get to see a, a bullets and bracelets from Diana, and uh, panel one on page oh, twenty. Oh yeah, which is nice. We hadn't seen any of that so far in this story. So, no. and and you know this is and and again page uh, page twenty two, uh, Probert <laughs> he hasn't done much in this issue, but he has a great line after Karain flies away. He goes gone. Now that's an anticlimax. <laughs> <laughs> and, and guys, shut up, Probert. <laughs> Wait, were you watching what was happening? That's a horrible pun. Yeah. Go to hell, Probert. Yeah. But uh, yeah, again, the Hawkman book was really one of the better ones of this of this uh, of this episode. I, I like the artwork. Uh, yeah, sadly, Hawkman didn't get much to do in the book, but what he did do was awesome. Uh, but yeah, this is a good story. I, I'm wanting to see how it how yeah. it turns out. Yeah, I'm I'm very intrigued on how this ends at this point because, you know, <laughs> I mean, obviously they survive, but uh, I'm interested to see how we get there and mm-hmm. you know, I, and what this means for the Tormox and and the Voldarians. This revelation of them being the same with Guy being the last of their breed, so to speak. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I might as well ask. We've got one more book to cover in the storyline. Would you be willing to come back for a third week, Luke? Sure, why not? <laughs> okay, I, awesome. Because way listeners biding in their droves, I think at this point. <laughs> <laughs> no, Luke, trust me, it is it is incredibly awesome to have you on the show. Um, I might as well go ahead. I, I forgot to do this last episode. Uh, why don't we go ahead and plug some of the places where you are on the internet? Uh, you know, even though you're coming back next week. <laughs> uh, well, um, okay, sure. My uh, my home. For Hawkman-related stuff is uh, my my blog, Being Carter Hall, which is beingcarterhall.blogspot.com. Um, it just, you know, uh, anything anything related to Hawkman that I feel like talking about, you can come check that out. And if any Hawkman things you want to talk about, just drop me a line over there. I've got my, my general comic book blog, which is El Jacone's Bunker, which is uh, El Jacone's uh, Bunker.blogspot.com. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E-S Bunker.blogspot.com. I really have not updated that one in a while. I've been extremely busy at work, so that one's kind of fallen by the wayside. But again, if you want to stop by, I'd uh, love to have you check it out. Uh, with Sean and uh, Chris uh, Chris Honeywell and the Hair Metal Hero on the Two True Freaks Network, we co-host The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, which is uh, the Freaks' uh, resident horror movie podcast. Right now, we're uh, hip deep in our coverage of a primer on Italian horror. We just covered uh, Profondo Rosso um, mm-hmm. 
first film in our series on Dario Argento. We're going to be doing Suspiria very shortly. Yes. Having a lot of fun doing that. I'm a big fan of Italian horror, so this has been a big, uh, big deal for me. And on Two True Freaks, my, uh, my solo podcast is Earth Destruction Directive, which is a uh, podcast dedicated to Japanese giant monsters. So if you like Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, Gamera, Ultraman, anything in between, uh, that's a podcast you would very much enjoy. So come on, check it out. If you uh, got some good stuff, I think, so uh, uh, toss me a line. Let's talk about it. Definitely. Luke, again, thanks for coming on. I will see you again, obviously, next week where we'll wrap up the storyline. And, and we'll also take a look at, uh, you know, what uh, Guy, not what Guy Gardner, but what Kyle Rayner does with uh, some of the uh, members of the Teen Titans. Mm. Sadly, it's some of the lamer members of the Teen Titans. <laughs> but but you will get to see Tara. And I know you're uh, kind of wondering what the heck's going on with Tara. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I'm an Outsiders fan, so only insofar as she's related to Geoforce am I interested in Terra. So, yeah. I, again, I'm driving away. It's like, you got an Outsiders fan on your show? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, well, uh, you know, I don't know how much Terra is actually going to interact with uh, the idea of Geoforce because I don't even know if it's actually Terra. It's a whole wonky thing that happened with Zero Hour. Well, the Outsiders are a little busy fighting vampires right around now, so... Uh. Eradicator shows up too, so they well, got that's their- always good. But yeah, that finishes up this episode of Just One of the Guys. Everyone, thanks for listening, uh, and we will see you on the next episode. Bye bye for now. Good night, everybody. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Inkle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback to the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed, too as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at just one of the guys, all one word, dot Libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers, and whatever else I feel like putting in. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast and be sure to leave a review there. I'd love to read you on the next episode. You can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me there because I don't have an account there. But if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander podcast. You know, I'll, I'll get emotional when, you know, it's like, uh, you know, watching the Iron Giant, and, yeah. know, and I'll weepy at that. But, you know, when it comes to dealing with my family, it's just, oh, I love them to death. But, you know, I'm not going to get all touchy and feely and all that crap. You know, I've said this to my wife numerous times. As a, as, and I said, as a woman, you don't understand this. So, but as a man, you, you spend the first quarter century of your life, society tries to deaden and kill any emotion in you that's not rage. Mm-hmm. And then you meet your the woman you're going to marry. You turn into a blubbering idiot, and you yes. don't deal with it.
You know, you're mm. ill prepared to deal with other emotions other than blind hate. See, this is surprising because every uh, you know every show that I have, usually with uh, you know people who are big fans of Doctor Who, I spend you know like thirty to forty minutes prior to the show talking about general stuff about you know whatever, and eventually Doctor Who gets brought into it. So <laughs> I, I'm glad that I'm not bucking the trend here. So well, you know, you talk about Ultraman, you have to talk about Doctor Who. Yes, you know? because essentially uh, they're uh, pretty much the same character. I'm sorry I'm keeping you up this late. What is that's it's one o'clock out there. I we'll yep. try and get this done in less than an hour. I think yep. we can manage it. Uh no problem. Okay. This is asleep anyway. <laughs> okay, well uh, so long as we're not keeping her up, that's cool. All right. Oh no, my <laughs> my wife stayed up when I was podcasting, she'd have killed me long ago. <laughs>